Well, thank you for your prayers. Let's, we're going to be in Luke, believe it or not, but we're going to start in Matthew. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus, at this point, uh, in, our, in our travel towards Jerusalem, Jesus is going to tell a parable, and the parable is the parable of the pounds. Uh, M-I-N-A, mine, I don't know how you say it, but minus, just to be uh, probably wrong. But uh, the parable of the pounds is the way it was translated in the King James. And, and really, I mean, every commentator that I listened to and read all agreed that you had to go through the parable of the talents as well. Now, I put the parable of the talents before, in, in, in our PowerPoint here, I put it before the parable of the minas or the pounds, the talents and the pounds. I, I did that because I want to end on, first of all, a little more positive note. And secondly, I want to... Uh, I want to focus at the end on the scriptures that, that we're currently studying. This is just a parallel to it, which I think will shed some light on it, but I don't know. I can tell you that uh, I, I do one, two, three, four, five, five different commentary, commentators, and uh, they, don't, they don't know any more about this than I do. Uh, we, we are not convinced exactly what Jesus was trying to say here. It's one of those parables where Jesus said to his disciples, now, do you understand all these things? And they said, yeah. And I think, please, somebody say no. You know, so we get an explanation. But uh, I'll give you what, uh, what myself and, and what others tend to think about it. Uh, uh, so we're going to start off in Matthew. Now, when you get to the Matthew passage, you have to remember, keep in mind the fact that uh, Jesus had just condemned the Pharisees uh, for an entire chapter. He walked out, told the disciples that every stone in the temple is going to be ripped down. Then he spent the next two chapters explaining what was coming. And uh, it's a long passage. And then you get to this one here, uh, which is the parable of the talent. So he says to the Pharisees, before he walks out, he says, you servants, this is after eight woes. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? You know, and then he walks out of the temple. And as, he wa as he's walking out of the temple with his disciples, now you know this is a pretty heated exchange. He says to them, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So the basic point is, is Jesus is not going to return until Israel invites him back. Now, we believe, we who are uh, dispensational believe that that's what's going to happen when the Jews are holed up in Petra. They're going to see their mistake. They're going to repent of their sin, and they're going to ask him to come back. They're going to be happy when he returns this next time. So this, this parable of the talents is, is part of the explanation to the disciples after the abandonment of the temple. This is God declaring the house of God in Israel, desolate. And in 70 AD, it, the, the, the prophecy of Jesus, stone by stone it will be torn down, is fulfilled literally by the Roman legions as they come in and destroy Israel. Israel has not had a temple since Jesus said these words, and God has had nothing to do with any temple that they build until Jesus returns when they invite him back. So that's sort of the... What do you call that? The background to the parable of the talents. Now, you know, the disciples 
are expecting the Messiah to conquer Rome. They're expecting the Messiah to go into Jerusalem and become the king. They thought the kingdom would be established now. And if you'll recall that at, in the book of Acts, just before Jesus ascended, one of the last things the disciples ask him is, will you now at this time restore the kingdom? And you remember that Jesus' response to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. So the, the point is, the point is, you know, the kingdom that they expected is not coming when they expected. And one of the reasons Luke tells us that he does the parable of the pounds is because uh, he wants the disciples to understand that he's going to be gone for a long time. So now we're going to look at Matthew first. It's a little bit different from Luke. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country. So I'm the king, heaven's kingdom that I'm going away, traveling into a far country, called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his leave. Now this is part of Jesus' explanation. Now notice he delivered his goods, and that's money, uh, according to his ability. So this, to me, when I think of this, I think of spiritual gifts. According to his ability, he gave them according to their ability. So he's not going to hold me account for what he'll hold you account of because he's given me less ability than he's given you. You see what I mean? Or, or more or less, you see how that works. You know, and just just for lack of confusion, a talent is a weight of money. And and he doesn't say what it's a talent of. Probably a talent of silver or gold. Now, if, 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 if it's a talent of silver, it's expected to be worth about 6,000 days wages. Denari, they say in his day. If you work 312 days per year, because even Jewish slaves got Sunday off or Saturday off. Sorry, I'm thinking as a Christian. They got the Sabbath off. 19 years wages at our say 50,000 a year, is that a decent day's wage, a decent wage? We're looking at $950,000. So basically, if we could just round up to a million, some people say 120, I mean 1.2 million. Uh, if you just round it up to a million, he gave each of these three men a million dollars in silver or gold. We really don't know, you know. Basically, 20 years of wage, 20 years of your work, you know. And then, the guy, then they set to work. These guys set to work. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents, doubled his money. And likewise, he that had received two, he gained another two, doubled his money. But he that received the one went and digged it in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now remember, Jesus is talking just to his disciples in a little circle uh, outside of Jerusalem right now. This is in the middle of his Passion Week. All right. And after a long time, the Lord, after a long time, the Lord, see, I... I I should have probably made that yellow. I, I did some highlights. After a long time, the Lord knew he was going to be gone for a long time. The Lord of those servants comes back and reckons with them. So when he comes back, he's going to reckon with us. This is the point. So he that had received the five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained thee five more beside, doubled the Lord's money. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I You've been faithful over a few, my, my, my measly million dollars. Now I'm going to give you something important to take care of. I'll make you a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So we think, yeah, well, that's implying a guy that's entering the kingdom as a saved person, right? That, I mean, that's my, my only understanding of it. Uh, he also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents, uh, <clears throat> two million dollars. 
Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. Now I have four million dollars. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I'm way ahead of my notes. Sorry. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, and I'm going to deal with that in the next one, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. I buried your million dollars in the ground. Here is that is thine. I hid the money. Didn't even put it in the bank. And the Lord said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful. We would, we would say evil and lazy, but wicked and slothful. If you know what sloth is, it's a good explanation. Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowest not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. You should have invested it with the bank. And then at my coming, I've had my, received mine own with usury. It could have at least earned me some interest. That's, that's the point, you know. Take therefore that talent from him and give it to him which hath ten talents. Wow. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that hath, he shall have abundance. But from him which hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. I'm all right with all of that. I have no problem with it until you get to verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Taken from the lazy servant, and given to the first servant who went right to work investing, the unfaithful servant is cast into outer darkness. Wicked, weeping and gnashing of teeth certainly does make you think. I just want to make sure this thing, yeah, it is. Uh, it certainly does make you think that the guy's cast into hell. He's, a, he's lost. Now, is this a parable about who's saved and who is not? Yes and no. I think, you know, you're not saved by producing an investment for the Lord. You're not saved by what you bring to the Lord. But when you are saved, you want to please him. You don't think of him as, as evil and grasping and, and expecting things that aren't his. Now, perhaps if you think in this parable, and I'll compare the two at the end, if you think of this parable of the Jews not understanding what's happening to Israel, and you, and you think of these first two servants as the disciples, Christians in general, and, and the lazy servant as a Jew who goes to synagogue but doesn't love the Messiah, really hates him, uh, doesn't want to serve him, knows that he'll get in trouble if he loses the Lord's money, so he takes the money and buries it, but there's no intention of doing anything for him. You begin to see the reason for the, the, the destruction of Israel. You, you begin to see the reason that Israel is lost because religion to them was a thing that they did. It was not a God that they loved or served. And so you get a little bit of an explanation there. And, and I, I would love to hear... After Jesus was resurrected, one of the disciples talking on this subject, you know, I really would. Uh, so some Jews will believe, accept, and love the Messiah voluntarily becoming his servants. And the word servant means slave. When we say I'm a servant of Christ, we're saying I'm a slave of Christ. You know? 
Other Jews will hate him and reject him and refuse to serve him and they'll be cast into outer darkness. That's certainly not the main point of this parable, but it certainly applies. And then you can, you can carry that on to us if we're truly his servants. The requirement for all servants applies to us as well as to Jews. Therefore, it's required a steward that he be found faithful. The requirement is that we be found faithful. See, what will we present to our master when he returns? That's really the question. More importantly, if this parable is about us, I don't think it is. What has he given you and me to invest? You know, th this speaks of, of investing to an individual's ability. It's, it's not talking about something everybody has. And when we get to the next parable, we're going to be talking about something he's given all of us. All right. But in this case, he invests us severally based upon how he judges our ability. So the question is, what has he given me? You know, what has he given you individually that he hasn't given everybody else that he expects us to act upon? You know, if this parable is about us, what do we have from him that he expects us to use for him? And are we faithful or are we unfaithful? So the week before this parable, this is the second time the boys have heard it. The first time they heard it was in Luke. They're, they're outside of Jerusalem. They haven't gotten there yet. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And Luke explains, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So we have an explanation to the parable of the pounds as to why he spoke it. Now Luke wasn't there, but you know when he got done hearing the parable, he said, why did Jesus say that? And, and I'm sure it's one of the disciples said, well, one reason is he wanted us to know that he was as a man going into a far country. He was going to come back and he was going to expect a return. But, but the kingdom of God isn't, the kingdom as we understood it, the physical return of the Messiah isn't going to happen in our lifetime. Anyhow. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman. Now, in the first case, it was just a man, an anthropos, a, a, a normal man. In, in, in the case of the parable of the talents, Handing out, uh, what was it? Uh, was it five, three, and one? So eight million dollars. Uh, obviously, a successful businessman, right? It wasn't just some some old carpenter who saved up a few shekels, you know. Uh, anyway, and he said, therefore, a certain nobleman this time, not just a regular man, not just a businessman, but this time a nobleman or a prince. A prince goes into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. You know, that's what, that's what God says to Jesus in the Psalms. Sit there at my right hand until I bring the enemies, make thine enemies thy footstool. The kingdom will be delivered to Christ as the king. And to return. Let me click. And he called his ten servants. This time there's ten, not three. Oh, where am I here? I'm ahead of myself. He gives ten servants. Oh, let me read this. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. And he said to them, Occupy till I come. And then there's this phrase that, that Luke adds, based on, obviously, what one of the disciples present at the time said. Now, you crawl, you'll recall that for months now, we've been going over the fact that they're walking to Jerusalem. It didn't take them months. Probably took them 
a couple of weeks because he kept stopping. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. They sent a message after him. Now, this happened with, with Herod's offspring. I can't say his name. But his offspring, when Herod died, wanted to receive the kingdom. And he went to see Caesar in Rome and get his kingdom, his inheritance from his father who had died. But before he got there, the Jews got 50 different ambassadors to go to Rome and say, we don't want this guy to be a king. And what Caesar did is he made him, he let him have his financial inheritance, but he wouldn't allow him to be the king. And this had just happened. So Jesus is, Jesus is explaining that what's going to happen to him is the same thing that happened to this other guy this son of King Herod. It'd be King Herod the fourth if he were made king. Um, and what was the message that the Jews sent to God that they would not have this man reign over us? They nailed him to a cross and killed him. That was the message. See, His citizens hated him. The, 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 the tenor and the context of this parable is a little darker than the parable of the ta talents, except the guy at the end gets thrown into hell. Now these guys are all sitting around in a circle with Jesus outside of Jerusalem. None of this has happened yet. Jesus is telling the story, and it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, when Jesus comes back, he will be the king of kings and lord of lords. Having received the kingdom, that he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money. Ten servants, each given a pound or a mina or one sixtieth of a talent or twenty thousand dollars. All right, not a lot, not as nearly as much. And interestingly enough, they all got the same amount. Uh, Whereas in, in the parable of the talents, it was huge sums of money, and each one was based on their ability to invest. In this case, we all get the same amount. And you think, now what is this? What has he given all of us? You know, and what has he given me? And what has he given us? What am I responsible for? What are we responsible for? That, to me, is the emphasis in these two different parables. Uh, and he called them to whom he had given the money, and he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound, your $20,000, has gained $200,000, ten times. And he said unto him, Well done, good, good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little. Thou shalt have authority over ten cities. So his reward, our reward for faithfulness, is more responsibility. And I'm assuming he's talking about the millennial kingdom in the kingdom. Don't know that. Doesn't say that. It's just an illustration. And the second came and said, Oh Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. Five times. Not bad. I wish I could invest somewhere and get five times what I invested. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I kept laid up in a napkin. But at least he didn't bury it in the dirt, right? I think moving in the right direction. 
For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that where thou layest, not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. I feared you. Imperfect middle in the Greek, I continued to fear. I'm constantly afraid of you. You are austere. That means you're rough. It means you're stringent. It means you're harsh in disposition. Take up. You take up where you didn't lay down, reaping where you did not sow. Probably a proverb, uh, A.T. Robertson thinks, it's something that was a common expression in Jesus' day. If we were to say it in our own vernacular, we would probably say you're a terrifyingly selfish, grasping criminal. And I'm afraid of you. you know, if you were to put those words together in a modern English sentence. Probably not a good idea to say that to Jesus. But you get an idea of what his attitude is. By the way, let me back up a minute. Thou art an austere man, thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou did not sow. You are, you, Jesus, you are frightening, mean, selfish, grasping. You ever met Christians that felt that way about Jesus? I've seen some guys that are pretty burned out by the things that happened in their life and they're pretty angry at God and you kind of get the feeling that if this guy if this guy is a believer, he is really on the fringes. He's having a tough time. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knowest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest not thou my money into the bank. Same story, that at thy coming... That I might have been required, I might have required mine own with usury. Now, interest. Uh, usury is actually illegal, but it's translated that because of the old English. It really meant with interest. It should earn. You're allowed to. You're allowed to charge interest. You're just not allowed to charge a lot. Um, And he said unto them, now, I find this interesting, and I don't, I don't know about this guy, I don't know about this third guy. Now, there's 10 of them that are reporting. This is just you know, the third one. Uh, that's as far as we're going to get. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound, the $20,000, and give it to him that hath 10 pounds. And the people in the crowd, they're kind of astonished, you know. And they, the people in the crowd, said, Lord, he already has 10 pounds. And Jesus' explanation of that is, is, I say unto you that every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. Now, you'll hear people talking about these two parables, and they'll say, well, Luke, Luke didn't do a good job of, of transcribing it, or, or Matthew, Matthew embellished a little, or I, I, don't, I don't think there's any reason to think that these happened on two separate occasions. And I, I don't have any reason to believe that, they're, that they are not two separate parables. I believe he spoke one outside of Jerusalem, and I believe he modified it a little bit and spoke another one during his Passion Week. Just like I've taught at times, well, for 24 years, six classes a day and told stories and done demonstrations and showed people how to use certain types of equipment. And I don't always do it the same. 
Sometimes I change it up just to keep from going crazy, you know. And Jesus, I'm convinced, changed it up because the audience changed. In the first, see, the first one is Luke. In the first, which we're studying last, and I probably should have done that. In the first, Luke's passage, there are a lot of people standing around. You're going to see how this ends. And in the second one, it's just his disciples. And it changes the context, see. So I think Jesus is explaining something to his disciples that he's not explaining to the crowd. Oh. Luke ends with this verse that Matthew does not have, but then there aren't a bunch of people around the parable of the talents, but now you realize there's a whole bunch of people around in Luke's telling outside of Jerusalem that really don't like Jesus. But those mine enemies which should not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. Whoa. That's exactly what's going to happen when the king returns, but it's not something we like to talk about. The angels are going to be sent forth the four corners and they're going to gather up all that offend, Jesus said. And they're going to be cast alive into hell. And then a thousand years later, they're going to be resurrected and they're going to be judged. And when they're judged unsaved, as they all will be, they're going to be cast alive into the lake of fire. So hell is only a temporary zone, but you get the feeling that this, this is serious stuff. But you have to realize that by A.D. 70, all the Jews that rejected Jesus in Jerusalem are going to be slaughtered by, by the Roman Empire. Now, just if I could, how's my time doing? I'm doing all right. I didn't think I could get through all this. Okay, how are these, how are these parables alike? Uh, both men go into a far country. In one, it says, for a long time. Both allocated resources to their servants. Both men expect a return on their investment when they return. Both cases, the first two servants were praised, received a reward of more to work, get to go to heaven, I guess. Uh, it, I, I think you can understand it that way. And in both of them, the third servant seeks to excuse himself, accusing the master of being harsh and received no reward. Now, clearly, the, the parable of the talents, the guys cast into outer darkness, it's it's questionable to me about the third servant in the parable of the pounds because all they're doing is taking taking his money from him. It doesn't say and cast him into outer darkness or throw him out or kill him. It doesn't say any of that. And in fact, the next verse right after it says his enemies are destroyed. Now, it doesn't say that the third servant is an enemy. So I'm, I may be making way too much out of all of this. I don't know. Maybe they're exact parallels, but I don't think they are. I think the third servant in the parable of the pounds is the Christian who refuses to serve Jesus and goes through his life unwilling to do anything for the Lord. Now, I could be wrong about that. I hope I'm not wrong. I started to say I hope I am wrong, but I hope I'm not wrong because if I'm not, if I'm not wrong, then this third servant in the pound parable, in Luke's parable, actually makes it into heaven. As Paul said, yet so as by fire. All his works are burned up. Now how are they different? In, in Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, the talents, uh, that, that's spoken after the condemning in the temple. And in Luke 19, it says they drew, drew, drew near to Jerusalem. In Matthew 25, there's no stated purpose. 
But in Luke 19, Luke tells us, and the purpose is to dissuade the expectations of the Messiah, to change their opinion about what they expect is going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not surprised that it is that way because Luke's was written long after the event and Luke, a Gentile, would most likely have said to the others, why, why did he do this parable? Whereas if you were in that little circle of 12 guys and you had God himself talking to you, you'd be sitting there with your mouth. I'd be sitting there with my mouth hanging open and I wouldn't be asking questions. Uh, why are you telling me this parable? You see what I mean? So it really makes sense. This is, this is realistic to the experience of these two different groups of people. Luke, being a Gentile, is sitting in, in, in somewhere sipping a cup of tea with James and saying, so what, why do you think he told us this parable? And, and James, I don't know he was talking to James. I'm making that up. But whoever he was talking to said, well, I think he just wanted us to know that the kingdom wasn't going to start this week. It, 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 it wasn't going to happen the way we expected it. In uh, the talents, it says a man, an anthropos, and in 19, it's pounds. None of these are significant. Uh, Matthew 25 is significant in that it says after a long time. So he's warning us that it's going to be a long time. Now, Luke doesn't have any statement of time. And in both cases, uh, there are servants. But in Matthew's case, there are three servants. And in Luke's case, there are ten, but only three are discussed. That's my abbreviation for discussed. They're also different in that they were spoken to the disciples alone with Matthew, but there's a crowd, a Christ-rejecting crowd, also in the Luke one. Now, the talent is no indication of salvation because the one guy had a talent and he wasn't saved. And the pound may be emphasizing all believers, but I don't know that. I don't know if number three in the pounds is saved. It's really an opinion piece. In, uh, in Matthew's, the talents, what huge sum of money was given based on different abilities. But in Luke's case, everybody was given the same amount. That's, to me, one of the biggest distinctions. The two biggest distinctions, it, it, down at the bottom, it says in Matthew, cast into outer darkness, and under Luke, the servant was left with nothing. And I put there, but that appears to be all. But that's, that's just my opinion. I don't know. I... I I would much rather be the third servant in Luke 19 than I would the third servant in Matthew 25. At the same time, I, I, I really hope I'm neither. You know, I mean, it just, it sounds a little better for Luke 19's third servant than it does. Well, it certainly sounds bad for Matthew's third servant. Okay, and there's no mention of an enemy in Matthew because there's no enemy around. And there is a mention of an enemy because Jesus in, in Luke because uh, unbelieving Jews are standing all around him. Now, you know, what is this telling us? I'm going to draw some conclusions and I'm going to leave you to just go home and think about it because I don't have the answers to this. So we know one thing. We know we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul tells us that. And every one of us will receive the things done in our bodies according to that he hath done whether it's good or bad. So, you know, there will be... Now, I, I know you've heard this preached many times, and I, I, I do know that you know this is a, a reward seat. It's not... You're, in Second Corinthians 5.10, we're not going to be judged whether we're saved or lost. Uh, this is the Bema seat of Christ. It's the, the award seat of Christ. 
you know. But the fact remains that there is a judgment that remains for us. Uh, it, it's true that if we've received Christ as our Savior, that's a settled fact. You know, and that's why I kind of lean in the direction of servant number three in Luke as being a backslidden, valueless Christian. You know. But the fact is that when I go before the Lord, when you go before the Lord, we will answer to him for what we've done in this life. There will be awards given to us if we've done well. And I don't know if he's going to say anything negative to us. I kind of doubt it. But I just think the fact that he doesn't say anything is going to be the punishment. The fact that we don't do anything to please him. You know, it's like, all right, Bob, get in here, you know. Get in here. I'm sick of looking at you. You know, uh, it'll be it'll be an inter eternal shame to us. So th there will be a reason for us to attempt to please the Lord in this life, and that is so that when we stand before Him, He would say to us, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into joy of the Lord." The entrance is already solved because He died for us. If we get into heaven at all, it'll be because he died for us, not because we did anything good or bad. But his attitude towards us when we enter, I think that's what the judgment is all about. You know, there's this implication in these talents also that it will determine what we do during the millennial kingdom, whether I'm sweeping the streets or uh, a magistrate, as it were. It, it's also, you know... It's also true that Jesus gives different gifts to different people. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 is a favorite passage of mine. He gave some apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul gives an even longer list in uh, Romans. Uh, there are differing gifts given to different people with differing abilities, and we will answer them. But in Luke, the pound was given to every individual servant, not based on his ability. So whatever this is, say, I will answer for my preaching. And, and you know, I, I hope he called me to be a pastor and a teacher. And, I, and, and that's what I, I hope I'm going to answer for. If he called me to be a missionary in Africa, I've missed my calling, see. Uh, but whatever he called me to, that's what I'm supposed to be faithful in. Whatever he called you to, that's what you're supposed to be faithful in. You know, and, and, and the goal of all of us, whatever our spiritual gift is, and, and there are many, whatever our spiritual gift is, the goal is in verse 12, is to mature the church for the perfecting of the saints. So perfecting is teleao, means the maturity. For the work of the ministries, we're to encourage one another and build up one another so that they can, in fact, do the work of the ministry. To build up, edify means to build up the body of Christ. Now, in the parable of the pounds, everyone has the same opportunity. So this is not that. This is, this is the talents, right? Although it's unfortunate that we use the word talent because it's a weight. You know, it'd be better if we said this is the 600 pounds of gold <laughs> and not call it a talent because you think talent and then you think, well, I have this talent. It's not that. It's a weight of gold. It's a weight of silver. You know, but in the parable of the pounds, everyone has the same gift. So there's something we each have individually that we are responsible for. And there's something we have as a collection that we are also responsible for. It has to be something we all have in common. 
every preacher in all five of them immediately go to evangelism. You know, and you know, Matthew 28 is a good place to go. I, I don't think that's just it. Although I know a lot of preachers that would stop at this. How's my time going? Uh, go ye therefore. Now, everybody was there. All 120 of them were there on the hill when Jesus ascended. Not just the disciples. This was a command of the church. This is a church ordinance. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So if you're a mother of five children, your job is to train your children in the way of the Lord. If you're a school teacher, your job is to share Christ. If you're a preacher, your job is to go and teach all nations that which Jesus has taught you. You see, we all have that responsibility, you know. And not only that, is that where we can't go, we're responsible to help others go. If God has called someone else to go, it's our responsibility to help them go. We know this, evangelism. But there's more to it than that. And, and I don't even, I don't pretend to have a complete list here. One, of course, is of edification. We're all expected to grow ourselves. We're not expected to get our ticket punched to heaven and just go back to living our own lives. We're expected to get in the Bible, to get in church, to be faithful, to be active, and to, and to do those things that God is leading us to do. I remember one of the hardest things I had to do when I first became a Christian was to stop working on Sunday morning and get to church on time. It was incredible. I would send Linda on ahead because I couldn't get there on time. And, and you know, that's not what God had planned for me. And finally, I realized I needed to stop working. You know, I always thought, well, gee, I can, get, I can get three hours in on the house before 11 o'clock. I mean, when church started, my gosh, these people sleep in late. These Christians are lazy. I can, I can get three good hours of work in and still make it to church on time. And then I took a Sunday school class. I got tougher. And then finally I thought, you know, maybe I'll just skip working Sunday mornings, you know. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. We are supposed to be growing ourselves. Now, this is too long. I thought twice about editing it, but the point is, not only are we supposed to be growing and learning, we're supposed to be teaching others as well. Does that spread out better on you? Oh, it's still too many words. Yeah, I'm sorry. I put too much up there. Hebrews 5. It, Paul, writer of Hebrews, in my opinion, said when the time you ought to be teachers, you need to teach you again. You're like babies. You must be taught the first principles of the teachings, the oracles of God, and you become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the work of righteousness, for he's a babe. He's rebuking the Hebrews for not being better students of the word and better at sharing the gospel or the stories of Christ with other people. Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, and even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Maturity is one of the goals. He, he doesn't want to find us the same babies we were when he saved us. He also expects us to honor him with our bodies. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And, you know, that means that, you know, I'm out there on the construction job two years after I'm saved. He does not expect me, me to be speaking the same way I was speaking two years before I was saved. He does not expect me to be going to the same haunts and places that I was going 
when I was first saved. He had expectations for me, and I assume he had expectations for you. He expects that we would honor him with the lives that we live and the way that we speak and the way that we dress, that we honor Christ. And finally, I mean, this, you know, <laughs> this list could go on with 400 points. I'm not going to do that to you. Anyway. We're all to make careful investment of our lives. That's the point, I think. The point of both of these parables. We are all to make careful investment of our lives. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of the guys I like to read is Bob Diffenbaugh. I've mentioned him hundreds of times. Uh, he, uh, he's wordy, but he's amazing. So I'm going to read a sentence as he concluded his study on, I think this was on the talents. I, I'm really not, I don't remember which one. No, I think it was on Luke. He has a long conclusion that is pages long. I'm just reading I was going to say a paragraph. It's only a sentence. Bob says, <clears throat> he's retired now, pressing this matter just a little further. All right. If the church were to be considered a business, right, and every one of us were to be viewed as employees, how many of us should reasonably expect to keep our jobs? And I think, whoa. That's a sobering question. Each one of us needs to ask the question, just what is it that I'm doing here for Jesus? What is it that I am doing for Christ and his kingdom that is profitable for him? What has he given me that I can invest for kingdom growth? And as I said on the title, it's a sobering question. And I have to tell you, it hasn't been a pleasant week studying this. It's difficult to answer that question. Because we never, I mean, if you love Jesus, you never feel like you've done enough. So if you think to yourself, well, I haven't done enough, join the fraternity. We all feel that way. And if you think like I think, I haven't done anything. You think, well, I, I hope I've done something. You know, I hope I've done something. I think that's the way I feel. I hope I've done something. But I think it's a question we need to ask. You know, I don't have 400 converted souls that I can say. I don't even know how many people have been saved. I don't know how many people. I've, I haven't even written it down. Somebody said, how many people have you baptized? I don't know. I don't even write it down. Don't want to know. I feel like such a failure. And I know you feel the same way. But the point is, as you face tomorrow, it's what can I do to be faithful to Christ? That's really the issue. What, how is my faithfulness to be measured? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. And I, I pray that I haven't placed a burden on these, your people. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to, to find clarity in this question of what would you have us to do? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.